Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and today we're going to continue our off-season deep dive series in which we're using this free time that the summer has afforded us um, to really kind of put a number of teams that I find interesting for a variety of reasons under the microscope. Um, for those of you that might have missed it in the last episode, we took a closer look at the Columbus Blue Jackets, discussing the big questions that face them in their upcoming crossroad season with with the great Allison Lucan. And next week, the plan is to have Shayna Goldman on. On to talk about the New York Rangers. Uh, beyond that, we've also got some fun shows planned for August, including some mailbag episodes that I've alluded to in the past. And we've gotten some great questions in in the mailbag. But if anything else comes up, we're always open to taking more of them. So feel free to pass them along on Twitter or via email. Uh, but that's in the future. For now, we've got our friend Sean Shapiro from the Athletic Dallas on the show today to help me dissect the stars. Uh, Sean, I know you're taking some time off from uh, from your newfound daddy duties to come chat with us, and we greatly appreciate it. How's your uh, How's your summer been so far? It's been good. It's uh, It's been much busier on the uh, on on the personal side, obviously, as you mentioned. We got the uh, kid who's going to be Monday will be four weeks, and that's been exciting. And that's really been the biggest part of my world so far. And uh, thankfully, uh, I guess thankfully, the stars have not been as busy as they could have been in typical summers. So it's worked out pretty well, actually. Well, it's, it's yeah, no, it has, and and it's interesting because. Um, uh, excuse me if I'm getting the dates wrong, but I believe it was like around July 4th or so that the stars had emerged as a leading candidate for Eric Carlson. And that seems like, um, you know, those rumors and that discussion would be a natural starting spot for us here. But it's, it's, it seems like that was kind of another lifetime ago. It's, it, we're coming up on like a month now, but sort of the, the roller coaster ride we've gone on from, you know, the stars emerging as a, as a leading candidate and then being replaced by the lightning. And then all of a sudden, you know, it felt like there was an imminent trade. And then now we've just kind of been radio silent on that front for the past three weeks or so. And I kind of, I, I joked about this on the last podcast where with Panarin and Carlson, those are the two reasons why I keep checking Twitter these days. Otherwise um, I, I would love to take some time off, but I feel like, you know, as soon as I take a day off from checking Twitter, one of those guys is going to get traded. I'm going to miss out on it. So it's, uh, I'm living this, just this kind of, it's this endless cycle of checking Twitter compulsively, even though nothing's really happening. 
Yeah, it was funny on my end. So my my daughter was born on she was born wasn't born on her due date, but the due date was July fourth, and so July fourth was actually when I got the the tip myself that when I got the heads up that hey, this is something that might happen. The stars are a leading candidate for Carlson and. So I remember at that time where I'm still checking my phone, we hadn't gone to the hospital or anything like that. And I'm just kind of on one hand, looking at my phone, checking my text messages, looking at all this stuff. And then on the very opposite side, I keep looking over the living room where my wife, my wife is just watching TV, just kind of waiting for like the, okay, we're going to the hospital right now. And that didn't happen for a couple of days. So it was kind of a weird couple of days of, uh, in my life of, Work was kind of invading where, of course, as soon as we went to the hospital, I just turned my phone off and would let everything just be, just let everything, let it be at that point. But until we left for the hospital, I was kind of checking my phone and then kind of asking my wife, how are you doing? And it was just, it was, I remember, uh, I was actually able to talk to somebody from the Stars front office a couple of weeks after that and said like, well, if, if you... I just expected you guys to make that trade when we were in the delivery room. And of course they didn't, but, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was kind of a wild couple of days just from kind of both my family side of things while I'm waiting for things to happen. And then, uh, and then trying to, I try to step away from work as much as I can during the summer, but it's not easy when, especially when something like that was on the docket, like it was crazy. Yeah. Well, and obviously whenever you're talking about a player of Eric Carlson's stature, um, there's, a ton of nuance to it. It's not as simple as just a one for one trade, or, or, or uh, you got to factor in various things. And obviously, you know, um, it was reported that Bobby Ryan and his contract wouldn't necessarily be part of it for um, the deal the stars were involved in, the hypothetical one or proposed one. Um, and then, you know, it seemed like the kind of bridge they couldn't cross was ultimately uh, the stars didn't want to part with their prize defensive prospect Mira Heiskanen and you know I've been reading a lot of your coverage and I know you did a mailbag on this and you wrote about Miro Heiskanen himself as a player and sort of the gamble that the stars are making on him as being sort of the next big defensive prospect to come into the league um so I kind of know where you stand on the whole thing but for our listeners that might not have uh might not be aware or might not have read it let's get into that here in terms of your standing on sort of whether you think that was ultimately a prudent decision for the stars to make or whether if you were running the team, you would have felt more urgency to kind of push all the chips in and try and go swing for the fences and bring Eric Carlson in and compete for a Stanley Cup immediately. See, personally, I think they could have gotten the deal done with, I think you could have gotten the deal done without including Heishkinen just because I look at what Ottawa has and I look at really how much leverage they have. And just personally, if I'm running the stars... I don't think they have as they really don't have as much leverage as they keep trying to push. Um, it's his contract expires after this coming season. He's obviously extremely valuable. I'm not diminishing his value at all as an individual on the ice, but his value as far as getting everyone's blue chip prospects, I don't think they're going to be able to get that. Just as far as there's no way Ottawa can guarantee he's going to sign the contract extension, and without that guarantee. What, you're probably not going to give up as many futures as you'd be willing to give up. And I look at it from the stars perspective and they're trying to, trying to compete and trying to build something. And they have something right now um, that has probably 
if you look at Jamie Benn, you look at Tyler Sagan, and obviously Tyler Sagan, I'm sure we'll talk about Tyler Sagan and his looming mm-hmm. extension at some point here. But And you look at the Radulovs, and you look at John Klingbergs, and, and you look, they've got a window right now where they can, with their defense, their highest paid defenseman is Mark Mathot. Right. And he's making and he's making $5 million and 4.9, I think. And John Klingberg's making, they still have four years of John Klingberg's ridiculous contract at 4.25. They have this window right now with a defense of Lindell, Klingberg, one more year of Mathot. If Heishkinen becomes the player that he potentially can be, it's three years of less than a million, maybe more than a million with bonuses and such. But... It's it creates an opportunity for a for them to be able to give Sagan that big extension without worrying next season, and b if they need to go and be in on Panarin or be in on uh, Pacioretty or anyone like they have that opportunity because of Heiskanen and because of his ability to potential to his potential his potential and what he could turn into. And now we haven't seen him play in the NHL yet, so there could be an egg on my face right now, but. He looks like the real deal to me. And I've talked to people who think he's the real deal. He's a kid who is one the I'm not going to try to pronounce it because someone will make fun of me, but there's he he was basically Finland's best defenseman. He won Finland's equivalent of the Norris Trophy as a teenager. <laughs> he's the youngest winner ever for that. Um, he was playing in the Olympics, and I know the Olympics were a watered-down competition, but it was a competition where he was playing against guys who are pretty good in Europe and guys who are four or five years a senior, and he was... By the end of the tournament, he was playing 23, 24 minutes a night. And when he was playing in world championships, and I'm looking at him against NHL players, he held up pretty well. He, he handled himself pretty well. The kid's the real deal. Um, and from and I think it's I think it's the right decision for the Stars to bet big on this kid. Now, if they were willing, to, if if they if Ottawa said, "Hey, we'll take, we want." any other prospect from your system, I'd, I'd do the deal right away. Mm-hmm. But it's this is a team in Dallas that has struggled to develop and to struggled to build guys from within. And they have a guy that if, as long as they don't, as long as they keep it simple and let him develop, they have a chance to actually take advantage of a homegrown player that was a first-round pick. And I really think the Stars need to take advantage of that. And that's why I wouldn't include him in the deal for Carlson. I would throw in another first-round pick. I would throw in I would throw in any other prospect they want because, in theory, you're bringing Carlson in. That first-round pick is late in the first round anyway, so it's not really going to be a player of this caliber. But in a world where you could have Carlson and Heiskanen on the same team, that's, that's, a, that's a dream world for the Stars' defense. And it's... That, that's what I would push for if I was if I was running the stars. And also, I still am not. I still don't think that the Ottawa. I still don't think the centers have gotten that offer, and they're not going to get that offer. They keep claiming they want because if they had gotten that offer, a deal would be done right now. We wouldn't be sitting here at August second and not having a deal done. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, you know, regardless of what you'll hear, the senators are. You know, they're sort of feeling the pressure and they obviously kind of want a resolution that isn't, they don't want this hanging over their head. And, uh, I, I, it's not surprising that a lot of this stuff that has been leaking, um, you know, that's been a kind of common theme with senators' dealings over, over the past handful of months and even years. But, you know, with, with Heiskanen, like it's, it's so tricky dealing with, um, you know, the process of gauging the value of prospects because, 
you know, you can really get into the trouble of sort of um, falling victim to the endowment effect, especially with fans when they're talking about their own prospects. They seem to, you know, always talk them up and act like they're untouchable and it's the next big thing. And generally speaking, I feel like if you're betting against prospects, for the most part, you'll wind up ahead. But everything you read about this guy seems to be super encouraging. And obviously the results so far themselves are speak for themselves. It is uh, an immense amount of pressure. I mean, you know, playing in the NHL to begin with and being uh, not only a lottery pick, but a third overall pick comes with its own set of expectations and pressure. But now basically the fact that the stars have sort of drawn the line in the sand here and said, no, we're not going to trade for, you know, a generationally great defenseman. And one of the, you know, I, I know you've referred to him as the best defenseman to come since Lidstrom. And I have no issue with that. It's the fact that they're, you know, not, bringing that guy that caliber of player in because of a prospect like Miro Heiskanen who has zero NHL games under his belt I mean that is uh, a whole entirely different animal and that's about as immense uh, a set of expectations and pressure as you could possibly have as a young player oh it's it's it, it is a gamble I mean let's not get that wrong it obviously is a gamble and and for me when I go through and I look at it and I think I wrote this one of the things that really sold me on, on, and I've talked to a bunch of people. And one of the things that really sold me on this, on Heishkinen and just, I was, I'd, I already really liked him as a prospect. I already really liked him as a player, having talked to a bunch of people. I talked to uh, Yuri Lettinen, who's the GM of Team Finland. And Yuri is an obviously former star, former star at his number retired by the stars back in, um, I think it was, it was back in November. And uh, I talked to Lettinen, um Talked to Yuri right around the NHL draft. He was here for the draft in Dallas. And one of the things about Yuri and having talked to him about player evaluation is he doesn't give any BS. He doesn't blow smoke up your ass. He doesn't, um, when it comes to talking to players, he's brutally honest about them. He's doesn't really, I mean, he doesn't have any, he's picking the world championship roster. He's picking Olympic rosters. He doesn't really have, he doesn't have to suck up to an agent or anything like that. And I've talked to him about other players before. I've talked about Julius Honka before. I've talked about Essa Lindell before. I've talked about players that talked about players that haven't played for the Stars as well. Um, and he's always been honest about their, their flaws. He's always been honest about what they could do. He's always been very honest about it. And it's not like he's someone who's just pushing this guy because he doesn't have an agenda to push the guy up. He's really just trying to build his best team. Mm-hmm. And hearing him talk about Heishkinen and him struggling – Knowing Yuri and talking to him, him struggling to kind of find, he kept trying to, you could see him digging in his brain, trying to find the ways to nitpick at the kid and he couldn't. And those are the type of things, that's that's what really sold me on it, where, and Lettinen was a guy who was obviously, during his NHL career, was he was considered the fixer on those Stars teams in the 90s. When a line wasn't going, he was put on that line because he made them go. And he was the guy who, when uh, a player wasn't uh, wasn't working well, you'd put him in practice with him because of the guy who could fix everything because right. of his attention to detail. And the fact that he's struggling to find flaws in this kid's game, and I know he's looking for them just because that's what he does, that, that was what really sold me. When he's looking at him as, okay, this kid can play in the NHL right now. This kid can play. It's going to be tough. It's, there's going to be some learning curve, obviously, but he really has potential to be, if this timeline works out well by the end of this season, to be a guy who can be a top four guy in the NHL by the time he's 20. Yeah, no, it, it definitely, and I think we're going to see that firsthand this, this coming season, uh, but it's... I don't know. I think I might be a bit more um, a bit more bullish on the idea of 
what adding a guy like Carlson could mean mm-hmm. for this uh, Stars team in particular is sort of the position they're currently in in this timeline with their franchise. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Tyler Sagan's impending free agency after this season. And um, I imagine, you know, we'll see. It's quite possible that an extension happens. But, um, you know, for the top players who are as competitive and, and as successful as a guy like Tyler Sagan is, I'm sure he wants to see sort of the team around him be put in a position to succeed and you know, if he's going to sign a long-term extension, kind of have a blueprint there to be like, okay, you know, for the rest of my prime here, I'm actually going to have a chance to compete for a Stanley Cup. And um, betting on a 19-year-old defenseman um, to step in and move the needle that much right away is a bit of a kind of dicey proposition to me. Whereas, you know, obviously, if you're talking about a guy like Carlson, um, injuries aside and age and all that, if he stepped into this lineup, I mean, just the allure of having yeah. him and Klingberg as a one-two punch and, you know, potentially, I know there's going to be a bit of overlap on special teams and whatnot, but you could really kind of theoretically go like, okay, for like 48 of the 60 minutes, maybe even up to 50 minutes, uh, we're going to have one of those two guys out on the ice. And, you know, you obviously another big need for the stars is kind of some of that secondary scoring and uh i know a guy like artemi panarin might be more interesting to some as a potential trade candidate for them but at the same time you know very few defensemen can drive offense but i think the ultimate point here is is eric carlson is one of those rare exceptions that from the blue line could sort of single-handedly help uh make secondary and tertiary guys uh more explosive offensively than they were otherwise just by getting the puck up to them quicker and in better positions to score so i don't know it's it's balancing all of those things and going for the risk or worse reward and sort of you know with all these players they have right now in tow uh i think the stars fancy themselves at least as you know on that playoff precipice and and trying to make it even if it's as a wild card um so you can't necessarily have an entirely futurely oriented look as well because you have to deal with the now but i i understand sort of the idea of listen if heishkanen plans that pans out we've got a cost-controlled asset at a very valuable position for many many years to come who's ascending as opposed to carlson who's approaching 30 and has the ankle injuries and will be paid significantly more as well yeah and it, i mean the 48 that's when anyone ever anyone asks okay why would the stars go after carlson you hit the nail right on the head there before do you get 48 minutes a night of carlson and klingberg that's that's a one-two punch that's tremendous down the right side no one in the nhl is going to be able to compete with that as far as depth and puck moving defensemen i i'm also i'm not i'm I'm not anti-trade for Eric Carlson. I'm <laughs> I'm anti. I my my view of it is it can be done because I just don't think there's the I don't think the market is there with him. I just don't think the market is there where you're going to have to give a guy up like that. I think would you have to part with multiple picks? Yes, but I'm that's like I'm I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to give multiple picks. I'm willing to give. F, I'd let them look at my prospect pool and take any guy they want other than Eichkinen and. And all of a sudden, the Stars do become a better team with Eric Carlson. I just think a deal can be done without Heishkinen because um, Ottawa's not getting that offer. I just don't see it happening. And as time continues, it's going to that offer is going to as time continues that the chance of him signing an extension becomes less and less. And so you can get something done without giving up your 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 to, your top tier guy, your top tier prospect. And I also think the for this from the stars perspective too, you also have to remember that this is a team that really needs to they they need to get that secondary scoring and Carlson can help that, but 
they really need an answer for their second line. Mm -hmm. And do they have that in house right now? Maybe it's, it, it's, it's a huge, maybe it's you've, you're, you're, you've obviously, if, if we look at their first line as you're going to play Ben Sagan and Radulov together, great fun to watch. They'll put up their points, but the stars big problem last year for anyone that didn't pay close attention to them was that that top trio and then Klingberg on defense got burned out having to carry everything themselves. They were basically, and it was an eight game losing streak that really doomed the stars, um, that really knocked them from a playoff team to a non-playoff team. But what it was, was something that built up to that was those guys got burnt out. And when it became sink or swing, um, sorry, sink or swim time right. for the, uh, for the secondary scoring, they hadn't had to swim all year and all of a sudden they couldn't do it. So the stars big thing is how do we make sure we have secondary scoring? Um, right now, if you playing with your pen and paper right now, I look at my second, their second line as, Matias Yanmark, Jason Spezza, Val Nachushkin. Does it could it potentially be the answer? Yes, but that's betting big on a Jason Spezza really having a bounce back year, and it, he certainly I think will be better playing for a coach that doesn't hate him. And and we're also betting on who knows how good Val Nachushkin will be coming back after two years in the KHL. Nachushkin's a guy who. I think had a lot of, there's a lot of good tools there. I just don't know how well any, no one's ever been able to get the most out of those tools. And right. maybe this coaching staff will be able to. So do they have the second line that could work right now? Maybe, but if, if Panarin's available, sign me up, go after Panarin right now. If, if even, even Pacioretty, I mean, for me, them getting a, getting somebody who they can bring in to turn that second line into an actual threat does so much and it also takes that burden of that burden of scoring off that top line that they get even better as well that's that's how i look at those the big thing for the stars right now and what what jim's what jim nill's probably looking at right now before september before we get into training camp Hmm. well you touched on a number of things there that i would like to kind of unpack but also use um as an opportunity to pivot from this carlson discussion and more so kind of talk about um you know, the coaching change they went through this summer and sort of expectations for next year and kind of looking back also at what went wrong towards the end of last year to kind of, you know, learn from that and sort of evaluate where this team is currently at and how much of that was, uh, you know, fixable stuff, how much of that was was actual um, kind of underlying issues that are going to manifest themselves moving forward as well. But, you know, it's... (laughs) I've said it many times on this show before. I don't know how you felt um, covering that team on a day-to-day basis, but... Ken Hitchcock, there's no doubt, uh, is a great coach, an all-timer. Uh, you know, his track record speaks for himself. And especially early in the year, they were, you know, they were having very positive results uh, under his system and under his style of play. And it was tough to argue with it. But at the same time, just watching the stars, I, I couldn't help but just lament the sort of the memories of what they looked like in that 2014, 2015, and 2015-2016 seasons and how they were sort of this, you know, game center live darling where whenever they were on, everyone was too tuning in to watch them and they were the talk of the league with their up-tempo high-octane style and then all of a sudden seeing that pace kind of grind to a halt under Ken Hitchcock's uh, famous uh, defensive style it was just it was really jarring and it was actually at times kind of upsetting to watch just because I I just couldn't help shake that those memories of how fun that uh, those old stars teams were I don't know covering them and watching them up close on a day-to-day basis were you feeling that as well 
Yeah, last season was a bit frustrating to cover. Um, just as far as there's, there's a couple things about the stars that are that last season. That top line, and this goes back to we talked a little, touched already on the lack of depth. The biggest thing with Hitch, and Hitch deserves credit for a couple. There's a couple things Hitch deserves credit for that the stars will benefit from. Um, Tyler Sagan playing in all situations. Tyler Sagan getting better defensively. Those are the type of things Ken Hitchcock should get credit for, and Tyler Sagan's paycheck will be even bigger because of that. But he, the only players allowed to show any creativity in this lineup last year were those four players we mentioned before, the Bens, the Sagans, the Radulovs, the, the Klingbers. No one else was allowed to play with any creativity. Everyone else had to play within this system of, we do this, it's very, it's very regimented, we... Make sure box one, two, and three are checked before you even think about doing anything outside of the lines. And it just drained all creativity out of that team. And it, it turned some players who had some potential creativity into kind of robots that just went up and down the ice and kept their heads, kept, kept their heads down and looked at uh, and basically, okay, if we, as long as we're not getting scored on here, we're okay. It was never, it looked like a group of forwards in particular that never really cared about scoring or being attacking or anything like that like they were under lindy ruff um matthias yanmark obviously he was a guy who was coming back from injury so he comes with a little bit of an asterisk but he's a guy who kind of had some of the creativity sucked out of him um jason spezza didn't have the creativity sucked out of him but hitch basically just kept dragging him deeper and deeper into the lineup and he slowed down age gets everyone eventually but spezza i always i always compare spezza to that guy who's like the old person who's going down the stairs and of course it's going to be a little bit slow, but Hitch just decided to kind of kick him down the stairs and made it even worse. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, and, it, it, it's yes. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, it's, you know, with Jim Montgomery, I, I know that you had a chance to talk to him a little bit and do a Q and a with him. And obviously, you know, there's only so much you can actually glean from that. And we'll kind of have to wait to see how mm-hmm. this first season unfolds. Uh, you know, coaching in the NCAA is one thing, and his track mm-hmm. record is all well and good. But it's gonna, we'll kind of have to wait to see what he's gonna be like at the NHL level and how that'll translate. Um, you know, it's obviously encouraging that his time at the University of Denver, where he got to coach future NHL, NHL talents like Dan Heinen and Will Butcher and Henrik Borgstrom. But I'm, I'm always all for. I kind of lean towards even if it's a bit of a kind of unknown quantity and there's sort of certain uncertainty involved, like I much favor the idea of going the college AHL route with an unproven coach who could potentially be good versus sort of the NHL motto of just taking old NHL coach retreads and just kind of recycling them and passing them around the league. So I'm at least, you know, it very well could not wind up working out for the stars decision to do that. But I like the thought process behind going that route as opposed to bringing in a guy like Ellen Vigneault or someone who's been around the block already and we sort of know what to expect. For sure. There's there's two things I really like about Montgomery coming in. One, um, I really like well, I, I, I went through and watched a lot of film from his teams at Denver. I just I liked how his teams play hockey. I watched watching his teams at Denver going through and looking at them. I like it's it's fun to watch. The defensemen get involved, the Puck possession's important. He is. It, it. They basically they want to play with the puck. It's not. It's not a system where it's about survival. It's about making the other team worry about survival. And I like watching him play. And I really like watching his teams play at the collegiate level. Now, 
how that translates to the NHL. We'll see how well that translates to the NHL. And obviously he's never coached, um, he's never coached professionals at this level. So we will see how that pans out. The other thing I really like about Jim Montgomery, um, is I really like his, at least so far it's perceived and I guess we'll see it in person. Um, I really like his willingness to adapt to things. Um, it's, it's one thing to come in and a lot of, if you bring in a veteran NHL coach or a lot of NHL coaches in general, while they may say they're open to ideas, it very much is their way or no other way. For example, how Ken Hitchcock worked with his assistant coaches. While Ken Hitchcock would work with his assistants and talk with them and have, take ideas from them. Really, at the end of the day, it was more about the assistants coming to Hitch's idea than Hitch accepting their idea, if that makes sense. Right. Um, Montgomery, on the other hand, I, I love what he's done with his coaching staff so far. Um, for one, so the person who I actually had penciled in as my, if I was making this hire, was uh, Todd Nelson. Before, before, before they even started announcing candidates or anything like that, I had looked at Todd Nelson, the coach who was um, in Grand Rapids, the Grand Rapids Riffins coach, spent a cup of coffee basically as the Oilers coach during that hot, really odd situation. Um, But Montgomery goes and hires a guy who was another candidate for the job he got as a guy and as a guy who brings in a guy who, when he coached the Griffins, Todd Nelson won a Calder Cup using five forwards on the power play. Um, he keeps he brings in um, uh, Rick Bonus, who was the Lightning's uh, penalty penalty kill and defensive coach. He, he's brought in these people who, if you look at their resumes and you look at experience. He's not intimidated by having these voices in there. And I think that's something that a young coach could run into. And I mean, not a young, but a new NHL coach could run into. And he's not run into that. He's, he's, he's brought those guys in. He's talked to me quite a bit about just being open to having these ideas and bring these ideas in. And I really like that adaptability. And I think that's something that I'm hoping personally, just because it's more fun for me to cover a team that wins, <laughs> is it, it's something that I think can, play into being willing to adapt in a game. And that's something that Ken Hitchcock really wasn't able to do anymore. Um, when a line isn't working, okay, we're going to shuffle this up. When a defense pair isn't working, we're going to shuffle this up. Or, hey, your third pairing is having a great game. This is the game we should elevate them. And I think Jim, I think Montgomery's ability and willingness to adapt and, and be willing to accept that we're not always going to stay with the status quo – um, I think that works really well with his style of we're going to attack. We're going to worry about putting the other team on their heels. Um, I'm excited to see how it works because it's for, for, first of all, it's, 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 it's fun to see and B if it doesn't work, what else can really, I mean, stars have missed the playoffs eight out of the last 10 years. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like we're, t- I mean, I know they had the best record in the Western conference a couple years ago, but it's not like we're talking like a team where there's much that can be lost. Yeah, I wonder how that 2015-16 team is going to be remembered because, as you mentioned, yeah, that was like one of the few instances in the past decade that that this organization has had success. But, you know, one thing is to remember them as sort of that exciting offensive juggernaut. They were another thing is like, I don't know, sometimes it just they kind of get painted as this disappointment because they ultimately fell short and people expect that, you know, that style of play can't translate to postseason success. But they were ultimately 
one home game away from making it to the Western Conference Final, which is a massive step. So it's 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 kind of it's kind of funny to see how as time goes on, how people remember them and how we look back at that uh, point in history and sort of the facts versus what is remembered. Well, that, I mean, I, I always when you when you go back through revisionist history, you just wonder, okay, if Kari Lettner or Antti Niemi can stop a puck right. in, in Game Seven, what happens? Because then they go into the Western Conference Final, and I think they beat San Jose. I just I look. I mean, obviously, we don't know for sure, but I think they beat San Jose, and and then in theory, they play that Pittsburgh team in the final, and that's a that's a fun hockey series mm-hmm. to watch. Um, just. It's it's you just look back. Okay, that would have been a fun series to watch. Maybe Pittsburgh wins. Maybe Dallas wins. Who cares? Either way, it's a fun hockey series to watch, and we're kind of denied that because of the that was the game. The Stars were still figuring out their goaltending then, and the goaltending did take a little. The year after the year after when they dropped and missed the playoffs, the goaltending took a little bit more of a uh, got a little bit more than a black eye than it should have. But either way, when it came to crunch time. If the Stars could have just gotten a save, what happens? And that's that's the thing where you look back and you just wonder. That's the biggest thing that I look back and I think of that team is what could have been. Because um, not only was that – the other thing to look back on that team is if they win that game seven, one thing a lot of people don't remember is if they win that game seven against St. Louis, Tyler Sagan's healthy for game one of the Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Tyler Sagan only played one game in that playoff in that playoff series. In that in the uh, in that entire playoff so far, one game, and if he comes back healthy and they get they get him back, all of a sudden you start looking. Okay, this is a team that can win a Stanley Cup that year. Yeah, and it would have just been we were denied that because three minutes into the game, I three or four minutes into the game, they're down two nothing or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of similar to what we saw this year with. Uh... I mean, obviously, Nashville made made the Stanley Cup final the year before, so it's a bit different. But sort of like you get into that game seven, and everyone's super excited about it, and they're at home playing Winnipeg, and then all of a sudden, Pekarene gives up two just brutal goals, like in, in a matter of minutes, and it's just like, oh, well, this is over. And and it's just it's funny how you know we can put so much time and effort and thought into all this stuff, and at the end of the day, it comes, you know, something as simple as just execution and your goalie stopping the puck is is what it ultimately all comes down to. Yeah, and it just just. If say you can transpose things, say say the stars have Ben Bishop two years earlier, which they, they stars have tried had tried to get Ben Bishop before um, before they finally landed. They tried to get him a year earlier at the draft and trade for him then. It just you just wonder, okay, say they had Ben Bishop, and I'm just using Ben Bishop as an example because that's who they ended up with. Or you put any goalie who's put any other goalie in there, and okay, say they had that goalie in that moment, what happens? Yeah, yeah. Looking back at those teams and then like kind of trying to reconcile the fact that their goalies were Antti Niemi and Kari Lettinen is uh, is a tough pill to swallow. And it's you know it's it's obviously kind of a bit of a black mark against uh, Jim Jim Nils' resume. But at the same time, uh, so much of this league struggles with the evaluation of goalies and trying to find that right formula in net. So it's not like it's necessarily an isolated problem to him. But you know, I want to get back before we move totally away from Jim Montgomery and and sort of the task ahead for him. Um, you know, you, you mentioned adaptability there, and I think that's the right word because that's ultimately what I think the, you know, that and co- and communication, I guess, are sort of the most important skills that an NHL c- head coach can have. But, you know, he has uh, a fascinating job ahead of him because, you know, when you look at this roster, 
it, and we've talked touched on it so far, it's very clear that at least at the top of the depth chart, there's quite an immense amount of talent here and there's a lot of interesting pieces to play with. And then, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and unknowns as you move down the depth chart and a lot of, you know, oh, if you squint hard enough and this potentially uh, glass half full approach comes through, all of a sudden something magical could happen here. But there is also, I'm sure, going to be a point in the season, and we went through this last year with Hitch, where the big question of whether those three guys up top with Sagan, Ben, and Radulov, whether they should be playing together and or whether you know it would be a more... Uh, valuable approach to split them up and spread the wealth and maybe you know depending on what combination you wanted to go with maybe have two or even three scoring lines involving those guys i don't know like where do you fall on on that because they were clearly successful last year playing together i believe they had 600 some odd minutes together at five on five and you know they outscored the opposition quite a bit their underlying numbers from a shot share perspective weren't necessarily as inspiring as you think but it's clear that three guys that talented are going to make it work and uh, dominate whenever they're out there. But just based on sort of the other pieces around them, I do wonder whether it would be more uh, advisable, at least during stretches of the season, to split that up and try to help uh, help out that supporting cast rather than relying on you know Jason Spence at 35 years old to suddenly turn back the clock or Valerie Nachushkin to show us something that he hasn't yet at this point. I personally, as fun as it is to watch them together, and I would put them together late in the game and on the power play and stuff like that. I, in my personal view, if I'm setting a lineup, I, your best option is to split them up. I look, I mean, let's look Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is the prime example of that, and obviously Crosby and Malcolm play the same position, so it's a little bit different. But you look at you look at guys who they both drive their own lines, and you have three guys who can drive their own line. And so, do you put all three of them on a separate line? No, I think you probably keep two of them together. But Radulov can drive his own line. Sagan can drive his own line. Ben can drive his own line. And I think you maximize value by putting one of them with whether it's say you put Nichushkin with Ben and Sagan. You could put even Brett Ritchie with Ben and Sagan, which is not my first choice, but you could you could do something like that. And I think whoever that third person is, they're gonna get some points. They're gonna as long as they're in the right spot and they know what they're doing, you let those other two are gonna drive the attack anyways. And I think if you're gonna for the ultimate construction of this lineup, particularly and you get to the playoffs where got where matchups become even more important and we're figuring out okay, who's gonna be able to create this and that and everything. I, I think you're you're at your best chance if you have one of those guys on the second line or so-called second line, one B line, whatever you want to use, where they actually are creating a bit more. Now, I'm sure some people would disagree with me, and personally, it would be more fun for all of us to watch them play on the same line. But right. there, there's there's only one puck, right? There's only one puck, so it's you have you have somebody if if you have when you have them on the ice, if even if that first line's together and they play 25 minutes that night. They play 25 minutes that night. If you put one of them on the second line and the first line only plays 23 minutes and and then that second line plays 20 minutes, that's my math is terrible, but that's 40 something minutes of, right. <laughs> of having a play, have, have having argue maybe the best player on the ice, depending on who you're playing that night. Yeah, no, and, and we see time and time again that it, you know it's obviously all this is sort of a value added, added exercise. And it's like at the end of the day, um, especially when you don't have last change it's so much easier to just load up and most teams do have at least one 
you know, reliable defensive pairing and uh, forward unit that can match up with the defensive responsibilities. And if you allow the opposition to really just load up all of their uh, defensive approach against those guys, they're still going to get theirs ultimately. But at what cost is the question? And I, I, I think, you know, it, it definitely does make more sense to split them up. Although I, I understand uh, if you're a fan of the stars, maybe you're not as uh, wild about that because just watching them is... There were certain moments last year, and I I really felt like, you know, there were times where it felt like the chemistry or whatever was off and they were trying to figure out how to make it work because all three of those guys wanted the puck on their stick. But there were times where it just felt like they were this overwhelming force, and it was like, oh, my God, like, if this can Mm -hmm. keep going, like, I don't even understand how you even slow them down. So uh, it's it's tantalizing, but uh, it's going to be how he handles that and how he maximizes those assets is... Ultimately, I think what's going to determine whether this first season is a success or not for Jim Montgomery under the helm. Yeah, and, and I mean, we can just put it put it simply this way: Who needs Alexander Radulov? Let's let's say we're going to keep Ben. Say we're going to keep the left wings and centers together. Mm-hmm. Who needs Alexander Radulov more? Jason Spezza or Tyler Sagan? Just I mean, like like we can just we can just put it out that way. If we're if we're, if we're looking at the top two right wings and say it's the two Russians, Radulov and Nichushkin, who needs Alexander Radulov more to succeed? It's clearly Jason Spezza, and so that's 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 another way to look at it. How do you maximize more out of that second line? You take something from that first line, and while while Valerie Nichushkin may be a bit of a downgrade from Radulov. You can't really have that much of a downgrade when the other two thirds of the line are Ben and Sagan. No, it's true, but I, I do wonder. And obviously, I don't know. This might be a, a bit sacrilegious, just because of how uh, much success they've enjoyed playing together over the years. But actually, just you know, if you're thinking about this as, from the perspective of sort of complementary skill sense and whatnot, I actually like the idea of Radulov playing with one of Ben or Sagan and splitting yeah. those two guys up because. Um, I think what Radulov obviously does best is sort of the puck possession game, but also he, I think he's just an immensely talented playmaker. And I, I, you ultimately want, you know, I'd like, I like the idea of a guy like Taylor Sagan being Tyler Sagan being on the receiving end of those passes and being able to finish it as the trigger man. So maybe you go with those combinations instead and, and split Sagan and Ben up, which um, I would experiment with as well moving forward. Yeah. Either way, when I look at it, I look at it. I, I look at Sagan with one or the other. I look at right. either. Okay, we're going to move one of Sagan's still with Sagan's with Radulov or Sagan's with Ben, and then we move the other one down because that's that's how I look at those two. Because I think there's, I if we do the left wing, if we play with the left wing, we move Yanmark up there maybe, and then and then Ben's working with Spezza and Nichushkin, and maybe that's a big line that can do a little bit of work down there. So I I, I do I do agree with that standpoint as far as I like. I keep Sagan with one or the other, but I do Sagan and Radulov are fun to watch together. Even 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 more so. Jamie Ben's a great player, but right. Sagan and Radulov are a bit more of you know what I mean when I say just dynamic playing together. Jamie's a good player, but it's not as much of the must see TV dynamic. Right, that's for sure. Um, you know, I I do want to talk to you a bit about Jim Nil because. <laughs> You know, for years now, the running joke online has been that, you know, they're the offseason champions and he's, uh, you know, he always gets a lot of love. I feel like he had just sort of a universally high uh, approval rating online from from people on Twitter for countless offseasons. And it's been interesting to see how the dialogue has changed a little bit over the past years. I know that, uh, you know, your, your, your colleague Dom on The Athletic, uh, I believe today actually, posted, yep. um, you know, the front office confidence rankings that uh, fans online voted on. And, 
you know, Jim Nail and the Stars were all the way down to 20th, which was a massive departure from the past. In particular, uh, something you alluded to earlier was, you know, fans were particularly low or critical of uh, this regime's ability to draft and develop young talent. Um, it's after how poorly things and how much things went off the rails last year towards the end where they went, I believe, 4-8-4 four, and four in March and really while they were to look like they were going to be a playoff team, all of a sudden everything just fell apart and they missed and it was a massive disappointment based on the roster they had. I, I have found it interesting that for the most part, uh, they've been pretty patient or pretty okay with just bringing this stuff back now obviously it might not be for a lack of effort you know being involved in their carlson talks and i'm sure they've got a bunch of other uh things they've been working on that might not have anything to show for at this point but it's not for a lack of effort but at the same time you know their moves this summer have been what they bring in blake como to basically replace anton roussel they bring in a backup goalie in anton hudobin to replace kari letnin they bring in roman polak who uh will likely be a seventh defenseman if everything goes well for them so it's 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 very small moves in the margins which you know typically we see when teams have the type of disappointment especially late in the season uh like the stars had last year where you go into the off season with that really bitter taste in your mouth we typically see teams overreact and front offices kind of panic and make a bunch of changes just so they can appease their fans and also have something to show for it and be like well this is why next season will be different whereas for the most part things especially up top are intact with this team there's is it surprising to you that that it's kind of manifested itself that way or did you expect um heading into this offseason that they would be more active and make more uh sort of important changes to the roster I keep waiting for that other move. And yeah. I'll be I'll be honest. I keep waiting for that other move. It's something where um, it's now if they go into October seventh, eighth, whatever the first day of the season is with this roster, would I be shocked to know? But I keep waiting for them to pull off another trade. I keep waiting for them to acquire a top six forward. I keep waiting for them to okay, we we work something out. We got Carlson. I, I keep waiting for that to happen. Um, and. And part of that obviously goes into Jim Nill's mo. Jim Nill is to use a to use a base to use a baseball al- analogy. Jim Nill's like the power hitter that takes big cuts every single time, and right. and so, and sometimes those work out really well. Obviously, you swing big, you go get Tyler Sagan, you go and get, um, and then sometimes they really come back and hurt you. I mean, signing Martin Hansel last year was just a huge mistake, um, but they. Whether they make a big move or not, it's fascinating to me to see how much Jim Nill is – if they don't make a big move, Jim Nill is really putting all of his eggs in the Jim Montgomery basket because Jim Nill does not get to hire a fourth head coach, right? Right. <laughs> you, don't get, you don't get to even – even though he's technically – it's, 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 it's almost hilarious. Even though Jim Nill has hired his third coach, he's never actually fired a coach. Lindy, Lindy Ruff's contract just expired. Hitchcock just retired, even though it was probably was pushed that direction. Yeah, he was guided. Yes. Well, it was probably, well, it was guided. He, it, so this is his third coach, but he's never actually had to fire somebody. So it's a weird, that's a weird dynamic part of it. But he's really putting a lot of his eggs that Jim Montgomery, getting Jim, Nogum, Jim, Jim Montgomery here, getting Val Nachushkin back, and his, that Heishkin is going to pan out. He's really put a lot of eggs that these are the reasons my job is going to be safe. Um, and for that reason, I still feel like it just, I have this lingering feeling in my head and this is not, 
this is not anything that I'm reporting or anything like that. I just, it's just the gut feeling in my head that something else gets done before September, whether it's a trade for a top six forward, whether it's a, whether it's a, whether they actually pull something off and actually get that Carlson deal done. I just feel like something gets done because while Jim Nill has said he likes this team, he's okay with this team going in. There's still a hole here and we can see it. I know he sees it and it's, there's there's some what ifs and there that hole could be plugged, but if you could get a certainty, a Panarin, a Panarin, Panarin becomes a certainty. Okay, we can fill that hole. They're missing that, and I feel like that's what's keeping them from. When you go through and you and you and you kind of slot teams in the Central Division, who do you see them? I mean, who do you see them above? I mean, obviously they're not above Nashville or Winnipeg, and you could you then you could argue for them as a third team. But even that even that case, you look at St. Louis got better. You look at uh, you look at other teams too. I mean, Colorado made the playoffs last year, so they're still missing that certainty that says, okay, yeah, they're definitely a contender for a top three spot in this division. And I think I think something happens, but that's just a gut feeling. Yeah, I mean, barring any other dominoes falling here, I, I would I would lean towards having them fourth in the central um i i'm obviously nashville and winnipeg there are one two i think st louis based on the soft season they had i feel like you know maybe no team added more uh talent than they did and i i really like them heading into this coming season and then you're right i mean you could look at it two ways you could look at the fact that at best they kind of position themselves as the fourth team in that division you could view that from the perspective of like okay maybe this is a sign that we should take a bit more of a cautious patient approach uh, because in all likelihood we're you know our ceiling for next season is is kind of capped based on the competition we have ahead of us or you could sort of you know if you feel like you're on the hot seat or if you feel like something needs to give if you're gym nail all of a sudden you view that as incentive to really kind of turn turn that uh turn the crank on the aggressiveness meter up uh even further and really kind of swing for the fences to try and make something happen because you really need to force the issue so you're right. I, I it just with his mo and sort of what we know of him as a GM and and the moves he's made, it 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 has felt weird that they've been kind of eerily quiet. But maybe as you as you mentioned, I think it might just be a matter of they like the talent in place and they're hoping that a different coach will be able to get more out of those players than Ken Hitchcock did last season. Yeah, it's it it seems that way for right now, and we'll see. I mean, we could, for all we know, I could we could see something happen in a week, and all of a sudden, okay, hey, there's there's this new face, and 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 it changes the dynamic. But it just it feels there's still something missing. There's still certainty missing. There's still, there's some what ifs and some hopes, but there's still some certainty missing there. And as you, it's also it's. They're off-season moves, as you mentioned earlier. Like, so it's this, the off-season moves aren't bad. Hudobin is a Hudobin is an upgrade over Lettinen because he comes in and he doesn't have the he doesn't have the baggage Lettinen had here before. And and I think really Kari Lettinen, who still is searching for a job, Kari Lettinen's biggest problem wasn't his ability to stop a puck. His ability was his ability was to keep it all together between the years in a big game, um, and. So you get an upgrade in Hudobin in that case, and people in oh, the there we go. Blade. There's a, apologies for the siren in the background. It's uh, <laughs> talking about stars goaltending really yeah. ignited oh, yeah. uh, ignited a scene here in Vancouver. Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you, you bring it, and Blake Como is not a bad. I think Blake Como is actually a pretty. I don't like maybe three years. I feel a bit uneasy about three years for Como. But right, for a 33-year-old, I believe. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, but for this year, you know what? It's going to be – people are going to look at it. It's going to be – 
it's going to be a pretty good signing. I really don't like the Roman Polak signing. I don't understand why they did it. I don't think Roman Polak is really an answer for anything. But right. um, but you bring those things in, and and it's just it's felt like just a huge letdown from a Stars fan perspective. After you're one of the teams that Tavares invites to the table, that was just and that that was that and that's put kind of a bit of a uh, shadow over all of this. Where even if they even if they made a slightly better move and got one of the one of the bigger names, not not big name, but one of like those those middle name free agents, it still would have been a letdown to the fan base. After hey, we're in on Tavares, and they and and it's kind of in oh well, you got Blake Como. Well, I think, and that all of that kind of ties together with like I guess the overarching theme here of the summer is, and why it's a bit not necessarily off putting, but kind of eyebrow raising for me is like there seems to be this um, imbalance for me between the way the stars have been operating, and you know, so they get that meeting with John Tavares, which is. Um, uh, very few teams obviously got um, you know most of the moves they make are kind of on the margins and guys on the edges of the roster that can help but ultimately won't necessarily move the needle that, that dramatically and it's like they've sort of been positioning themselves as this um, c- kind of rock solid contender that is just tinkering a little bit and trying to fine tune their roster and from what I've seen from them what I saw from them last year and sort of projecting ahead I feel like they are necessarily that good enough to warrant that being the extent of the move. So I'm, I'm just kind of trying to uh, sort of put those two things together where it seems like the way they've been operating and what's actually happening in reality with their roster isn't necessarily lining up for me. No, it's not. It's, it's not. It's, it's, it really is. It is missing something. And it's, I mean, the big thing and where we can talk a little bit about Tyler Sagan, I mean, the big thing for Tyler Sagan and everyone wants to, I know the sides have started speaking more recently and things like that. And the big thing for getting something done with Tyler Sagan is there needs to be confidence from Sagan's camp that he's joining a winner. I mean, Sagan has, has a Stanley cup. Okay. He won a Stanley cup as a night as was he 19 or 20. I can't remember the exact age, but he was right. 19 or 20 years old with the Bruins and he wins a Stanley cup. Um, since he's come to Dallas, he's played one NHL playoff game with the Stars. It's there is they're very close to being in a situation where they become the Islanders next year. If Sagan Sagan decides, okay, I'm not going to sign, I'm going to go somewhere else. All of a sudden, they're in a spot where they're little they're they're better than the Islanders immediately because they have Jamie Benaradulov, but they don't have a Matt Barzell. Right. So, um, so they they need to make a move this summer to make a move this summer to a sell Sagan. Hey, we're, we're going, we're, we want, we want you to win. So we want to stand, win a Stanley cup in this window. We want you to be part of that or B they really need the first couple months of the season to look like, okay, Hey, everything is turning around. This really is the right fit with this coaching staff. Tyler, let's get something. Maybe we can get something done at Thanksgiving. I think, I mean, it's, I know they've been talking, they've been talking more lately and they may get something done before the season. But if I'm just personally putting myself in Sagan's shoes, I don't see why I sign before the season starts. And that's just my opinion. That's not, I know the sides have been talking. What do the stars want? What does Sagan want? They've been discussing things back and forth. But if I'm putting myself in his shoes, I don't see a reason to sign a long-term deal here yet. Yeah, no, and it's it's it really is funny how much sort of narrative and perception can um, 
you know, help position things and sort of cloud your judgment because that, that stat is crazy. You mentioned there that he has the one, one playoff game as a Dallas starter belt because it just, you know, what I talked about with Jim Nail, it's like the per- perennially we think of this team as being in the mix and we like what they're doing and there's a lot to be excited about and they've been fun to watch in the past, but the actual uh, postseason success hasn't been there. And if you're Tyler Sagan, um, what, he's turning 27 this season. He just scored for 40 goals for the first time in his career and really had an inspiring bounce back after a down season, I guess by his lofty standards the year before. And so now all of a sudden, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, okay, this is probably going to be the last mega contract uh, you're going to sign if you're him. Yeah, I'm sure you just like what John Tavares just went through now, that's one of those things that you really have to think long and hard about. It's a, it's a massive decision and I don't, you know, I don't want to panic stars fans and I don't want to, uh, you know, concern troll or, or, or any of that, but it, it does kind of just feel like for whatever reason we've taken it for granted, I guess that, you know, just say again, it's just going to be there and they're going to lock them up and it's going to happen. But there are a lot of moving parts here, and I do wonder as time goes on here um, whether this is going to be a, a bigger point of emphasis or more attention is going to be directed to it from a mainstream level. Since so, since uh, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, so I guess someone will have to look this up to completely get the exact numbers. But since that trade, since the trade to the Stars, um, since we go off the date the Stars traded for Tyler Sagan. He scored the second most goals in the NHL in the regular season. Only behind Ovechkin. And he's got one playoff game. Why would he, I, I just, it's, and I'm not, I don't want to panic anyone because it's, it's, it's not a panic inducing thing. It's a thing where he, the franchise needs to prove Sagan's done his job. He, Sagan's done his job. And, and if, if the stars make the playoffs last year, Sagan's in that group of 75 heart candidates. Like yeah. it's, um, so it's, this is not meant to panic anyone or anything like that, but you look at the Sagan situation and you look at why Tavares left and you look at why Stamkos, I mean, Stamkos didn't leave, but obviously Stamkos didn't sign before his last season of his contract. Um, it's, you look at it, that's why he's put his work in. He's, he's done his job. He has to know that the franchise is doing the job back for him because he doesn't want to lock up and sign sign up for eight years, and, and then all of a sudden, stars miss the playoffs again. He's probably got a new GM. Who knows what that new GM thinks of the coach? Like, it's it's just there needs to be something else from the stars, whether it's in player acquisition or something on the ice that says to Tyler Sagan, "This is the place where you can actually win," because he wants to win another Stanley Cup. I've talked to Tyler about it. I know he wants to win another Stanley Cup. He's winning one Stanley Cup as a teenager is great, but that doesn't, you, you don't even appreciate it that much until you, I mean, if anything, it's given him more appreciation for how tough it is. So it's, it's, do I, do I think they get something done before the season? I would maybe, but it's, you just, you just have to see this franchise. This franchise has to do something to lock up the player that doesn't have and it's more than just the dollar figure yeah um i I will say i know uh my listeners are are quick to point out when we make mistakes and uh he did have those six games in 2013-14 when they uh when they lost to uh the ducks i believe in round one uh in his first year with dallas he had those six games so he has seven uh combined playoff games in Dallas, but I mean, what in five? Yes, in, yes, in, yes, in five years, I mean, seven seven games is like you know, uh, you should be aiming higher than that, and there should be uh, 
a longer track record of success with an organization for a player of that caliber. And uh, you're right. I think all of those factors you laid out are very viable and very valid. And I guess we'll just uh, we'll have to wait to see how it unfolds. I'm, I'm proud of us. We uh, we're coming up on the one hour mark here, and we didn't even talk about Julius Honka. And, uh, and that oh, is uh, oh something that I'm proud of, and I'd like to continue for the remainder of this podcast because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's I a think very I think contentious I'm, topic on the Sagan front. I think the number that was stuck in my head is he's got one. He has one playoff goal for the Stars. Mm-hmm, it is right. it's seven games. He's got one playoff goal. I think that's the number that was stuck in my head for one. Yeah, but man. yes, I'm, I'm good. I'm good avoiding the other topic you mentioned. Um, <laughs> is there anything uh, before we get out of here? Is there anything else that we have missed in terms of pressing issues or pressing uh, angles that we need to consider with this Dallas Stars team? I'm excited. I saw the news that uh, the Razor is going to be back doing color commentary next season. That's going to be uh, exciting. I think that's a much more natural fit for him. I'm excited to, uh, to tune into more Dallas Dallas local feeds and uh, hear his beautiful uh, vocabulary and uh, his usage of the of the English thesaurus. I, I do think actually that's that's funny. Actually, actually, I talked to Josh Bogorod today, who's the new play by play guy. I actually think it's going to be a really good. It's going to be a really good tandem, and it's going to be um, the best for me. And I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I would I could never do play by play so I'm never going to judge somebody based to say I could do anything better or anything like that um but to me when I look at it the best broadcast duos are when both guys know what their their role is right right um and I think having Razor having having Daryl Ray back in the color commentary role he's back in a spot where he can be the eloquent person he is he can use he can use that vocabulary he can he can do that and not have to worry about it taking up the time to where all of a sudden someone listening on the radio missed his own entry. Um, and the guy coming in, Josh Bogorado, I, Josh is, I think Josh is going to do a great job in this spot as the play-by-play guy with him as far as he's – He's uh, he, he's never called. He's never been a full time NHL play by play guy. He's called uh, I think about five or six NHL play by play games. He used to be the the color. He used to be the uh, the pregame. He was the he, his immediate role prior was the pregame uh, pregame and postgame host for the Stars television broadcast. But mm-hmm. between his minor league experience, I I know he's called close to a thousand games. He does a really nice job actually with it and. I think it's a really good fit because Josh um, is a guy who calls the game straight. He calls the game right forward, and it allows him to almost kind of be that straight man that allows Razor to kind of take that extra space. So I, th- <laughs> I think the star, I think the Stars broadcast is going to be back in a really good spot this year. I'm excited. Well, if uh, if anything, if nothing else, at least they'll have that. Um, yes. Sean, plug some. Uh, Talk some stuff. What are you What are you doing these days beside uh, beside Daddy Duty? As we know, <laughs> biggest thing is focusing on the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will uh, I will plug. Uh, obviously, read all the stuff at the Athletic. I'm still doing kind of doing a couple things per week up until we really ramp up in September. But uh, I got a book coming out. A uh, book coming out in October called "100 Things Stars Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die." Kind of a collection of stories and factoids and things about this franchise going back to including the North Stars days. So if you're in Minnesota, it's still got some good stories from that. Uh, it comes out October 9th. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. So uh, if you're interested to learn everything from how the Stars scouted Jamie Ben to how Marty Turco redefined how goalies stick handle with the uh, turco grip there's all that type of stuff in the book so uh love to see uh, as many people pre-order that book as possible that would be great 
Awesome. Well, I highly recommend that, and I'm glad we finally got to do this and finally got you on the show. Um, you know, I, I have no doubt that we will cross paths again, uh, maybe even early on next season, because one of the reasons why I did want to do the show with you in the offseason is I do think the Stars are sort of positioned as one of the most fascinating teams to follow. There's a lot of moving parts there, and it could really go in one of two extreme directions, and um, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of to kind of follow on a day-to-day basis and talk about with this team, and hopefully we can uh, we can have you back on down the road to chat about that. Yeah, it'd be fun to do. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Have a good one, man. Cheers. You too. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. <laughs>